Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. I'm right here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. You're listening to Prophecy Today. And I needed another 90 minutes of your time. If you'll give us that, I'll give you my broadcast partners with details behind current events happening around this world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, I'm going to be having a prophecy Q&A. Jim Jr. will come to this broadcast table and join us with a question from one of you who are listening to us today. And we're going to have a report from Winky Madad. There is a viable possibility that Israel may have to go to war with the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. It's moving closer and closer. The prime minister talking about it. We'll check with Winky how close that war may be. But right now, we want to bring to these microphones a longtime friend, longtime broadcast partner, used to be with us almost every week, got so busy writing books and traveling and speaking. And then that's, of course, his night job, his day job, working at the Pentagon and helping put together the strategy for the U.S. military. I'm talking about, of course, Colonel Bob McGinnis. And Bob has a book that is out. It's entitled Alliance of Evil. And this is a book that you ought to get a copy of. Read it. It's some very interesting information. Bob has a, a great background to be able to write this book. And, Bob, you brought out in your book there's a dual Cold War. Now, first of all, a brief definition of a Cold War. What does that mean? Well, during the time of the Soviet Union, Jimmy, between 45 and 91, we were engaged in what we called uh, a Cold War. And really, it lasted all those decades, and it was about a host of things. Certainly, it was a frightening time. It was a time in which we thought, you know, we'd annihilate the other with nuclear weapons. It was a time of proxy wars, threats, clandestine operations. I mean, one thing after another, a very frightening time. And and anybody, certainly of my vintage, uh, that lived through it, you know, appreciates uh, how uh, tough it was. I served both in Korea on the demilitarized zone facing North Koreans and the Chinese, as well as the Iron Curtain facing the Russians and the East Germans, and saw their terrible behavior, not only toward their own people, but toward the West. And I wrote this book because I saw all the indicators of a new Cold War. And absolutely every day, as I go through and study what China and Russia are doing and how we're countering, I see more indicators that suggest to me that not only are we in a Cold War with the former Soviet Union, with a new Russia led by Vladimir Putin, but we're also very much in a Cold War with President Xi Jinping, who, of course, is an authoritarian, much like Putin. And certainly this week, it's interesting that the China South Post had an article that talked about, are we in a Cold War? And I'm beginning to see that everywhere. And people are recognizing that, yes, we are in a new Cold War. And the, the concern is that this could easily spark into something much worse. And I argue that, you know, it, it's quite possible this could become the catalyst that ends with the prophetic end time. So we'll see. Yeah, those players you're talking about all included in the end-time scenario that's found in God's Word. You sent me a very interesting article, a military paper that uh, you sent a couple of thoughts from, 
And it basically was saying that the U.S. military troops, and then along with General Joe Dunford, they're both agreeing uh, that it looks like there may be a war sometime, maybe within a year, between the United States and either Russia or China, or both of them at the same time. Uh, that means there must be something that is about to happen, because the troops, they have an insight maybe the rest of us don't have. And, of course, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he's on top of everything. Well, that's true, Jimmy. And, and the Military Times does annual polls, and this was one of active duty forces. And surprisingly, last year, uh, they asked how close we were to a new war. And only 5% in 2017 said that we were close. This time, about half of all those surveyed uh, came out and said that we likely are to be at war within the next year. And they looked at uh, China and Russia, and they said 71% uh, believe that Russia is a significant threat, which is 18% higher than it was last year, and 69% of these troops said that China poses a significant threat, which is up 24% from last year. So that alone is an interesting indicator. However, when Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Joe Dunford was talking to a reporter just days ago, he was saying, look, the Russians are really embracing a strategy that is intended to undermine the credibility of the United States in meeting its alliance commitments. Now, that is what the Russians believe they have to do. Now, how are they going to do that? Well, they're doing everything they can to erode the cohesion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization Alliance and our 28 partners there. But they're also you know, forward deploying into Kaliningrad, which, of course, is on the Baltic Sea and right between Lithuania and Poland. They have really armored that place with anti-ship cruise missiles, anti-ship ballistic missiles, air defense systems, all of these systems intended, of course, to not only intimidate NATO, but uh, the countries in that region. I know those countries are very nervous and understandably and increasing their defense spending. And Chairman Dunford just came from a NATO defense meeting, and he said they are all beginning to understand the true nature of this Russian threat, and it's very serious and we must do something. So you know, he said that, Then, of course, he was asked questions about China's strategy. He said the Chinese are using a similar strategy, especially in the South China Sea, and he talked about freedom of navigation operations and our collaboration with 22 partners in the Asia-Pacific arena. And he said, look, the Chinese are really on a threshold of pushing back across the entire region. Uh, and I know in my own uh, studies outside of this, we're seeing a very contentious area, not only militarily, but economically and diplomatically throughout that region and, of course, expanding across the world. Yep, and Jesus made the statement, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, etc. We'll get to that more in depth when we take a look at the book momentarily. Now, let's shift our focus then, the murder of the journalist there in the Saudi consulate there in Istanbul, Turkey. We don't have all the evidence needed to make an absolute statement. They're still putting that all together. But let's just get into what if it is true and uh, Saudi Arabia totally responsible. What about uh, the United States and Iran, the situation there? And briefly, because I want to get all this in with you in just a couple of minutes. 
Well, there's a lot going on here, Jimmy, as you indicate. And, of course, President Trump has pushed back, saying, look, let's not declare guilt before we have the evidence. And so he sent uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, over there to research it both in Riyadh and in Ankara and Istanbul. There's a lot at stake. Specifically, the U.S. needs Saudi Arabia to balance oil markets. It needs Saudi Arabia to help combat Iran and to fight terrorism. And, of course, to purchase arms, which is an economic incentive here. So a bad turn on relations because of their bad decision, perhaps, whether or not it's to be blamed on Mohammed bin Salam, Salman, the crown prince, uh, we'll see. I suspect he's going to get uh, most of the blame, even if we can't pinpoint it exactly. And, of course, this is going to impact all of the things that you outlined. If the Saudis go in a very different direction and we sanction them and we refuse to do certain things, arms or whatever, that will help the Ayatollah and the mullahs in Tehran, who, of course, have taken advantage of a host of things in Iraq, Syria, and elsewhere in the Middle East, Yemen, etc. And, of course, the Saudis are very concerned that we might stop supporting them in Yemen, which would undercut them. Now, kind of the wild card here is, you know, I suspect President Trump does not want to do much unless the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, But clearly there's a consensus of bipartisan congressional senators that want to do something very decisive. And uh, they may even pass a bill that President Trump would have to veto, perhaps. Congress may try to override that veto uh, to stop the arms business. We sell billions and billions of dollars. Of course, there's $110 billion, Some people say as much as $350 or so billion dollars, uh, of arms to the Saudis. A big business and something that uh, we would not want to lose, especially to the likes of the Chinese and Russians who would rush in to sell weapons to them. So all of that having been said... You know, the Saudis can retaliate to a certain degree by changing the the flow of oil. Uh, Obviously, they run OPEC. They could buy their arms from Russia or China. And, of course, they could do a host of other things. It's a troubled time. We'll have to wait and see what the evidence says. And let's stay in the Middle East. And real quickly, the Egyptian president went to Russia to meet with the leadership there. They signed a partnership treaty over there, possibly supplying some very important weapons for the Egyptians, but also a possibility of a nuclear type of operation as well. That could not stand well as you think about Bible prophecy in the Middle East. Now, clearly, LCC, he has met with Vladimir Putin a number of times here recently, of course, in Sochi, and they did make those those deals, uh, arms deals. They've agreed to return uh, Moscow to Cairo flights. The Russians are, are about selling things. They're about developing relationships. They already have a pretty firm relationship with a guy in Damascus, mm. Bashar Assad, and, of course, with Erdogan. So there, there are a host of things the Russians are doing, and none of which, of course, is supporting our best interests. You know what? Our world today, as Bob brought to our attention, fills in all the blanks that you may have if you do not quite understand the Scripture, Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83, and how all of those end-time wars are going to be about us in this world, seemingly in the very near future. That's the reason we bring Colonel Bob McGinnis to this broadcast table. And Bob, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have to talk again real soon. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan, he's standing by with a more in-depth 
Middle East News Update. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Well, as promised, we're bringing David Dolan to this broadcast table. I'm Jimmy D. Young. Thanks for staying with us, at least in this first half hour of the 90-minute program that we want you to commit to listening to each and every week so you'll be able to understand current events around this world reported by our broadcast partners who bring great details to the table as well. And we want you to have this information in your brain so that as you read God's Word, you can see how These current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I said we have David Dolan. Well, that's an absolute natural. He reports on the Middle East, and without that report, we're pretty much bare as it relates to knowing anything about how prophecy is coming closer in focus, better in focus than it's ever been. Let's talk with David right now. David, I understand there's a report that Israeli Defense Force tanks have been seen moving towards Gaza. I know for about 30 weeks now, they're at the borders on Fridays. It's a pretty somewhat of a uproar as it relates to the Palestinians and the IDF. Can you tell us about these tanks? Is this serious business? Are they getting ready to move ahead in the Israeli-Gaza conflict? The simple answer, Jimmy, is yes. There is a major buildup going on. 
Uh, I've seen it many times, but mostly when I lived in the north of Israel along the Lebanon border, we would see several days of tank convoys and other troop positions, camping, gear set up, but tents going up for the soldiers. All of that is happening. Not only is it happening, Jimmy, but yesterday on Friday there was again another day of rioting. The Israelis said 10,000 at least Palestinians took place of five places along the Gaza border with Israel. Three new fires were started in Israel from incendiary devices. And they say that this time three different Palestinian armed mobs, they had guns, were able to penetrate the border fence. Now, all this was happening while those tanks were active, Jimmy. They were actually involved in Friday's incidents. Machine gun fire was directed from them at the mobs that were crossing into the border. Another incident, uh, one of the mobs went over to a gas supply line that comes into the Gaza Strip from Israel. They sabotaged it and blew it up. So heavy activity going on. Uh, Of course, this isn't the full operation that we're expecting. The security cabinet met on Thursday after two grad rockets were fired into Israeli territory from Gaza on Wednesday. Now, these are Tornado 6 grad rockets, Jimmy. They have a range of up to 50 miles And uh, anybody watching the news might have missed it because it wasn't reported internationally very much, but one of those rockets hit a large home in Beersheba in the south of Israel, not far from Gaza, and uh, blew up the home. The single mom and her three kids were down in the shelter because the sirens were sounded a few minutes before it landed. Uh, Jimmy, just beyond Beersheba, where it was directed, is the Israeli nuclear reactor at Dimona, and some are speculating that the grad was either directed towards it and fell short a bit, or that it was just a test to see how far they could get in that area. But um, nothing happened at Demona, but certainly the home was destroyed, Uh, people were hospitalized, and then, Jimmy, even more daring, another grad was directed up at Tel Aviv, Israel's population center, its business center. Uh, That one missed just a bit and landed off the coast into the Mediterranean Sea. Had it struck in Tel Aviv, and had there been casualties, deaths, in either of these cases, Jimmy, then the analysts are saying we would be in a full war right now. Instead, it seems that Prime Minister Netanyahu and his security cabinet have decided to beef up the forces, give the Palestinians one more chance, and in fact, Friday, they said, was it. They said, we want to see no rioting. Well, as I just reported, it was the opposite. So it looks like the operation will be on. But, Jimmy, they're also concerned about going to war right now with the situation in the north. We've been talking about that with uh, Iran sending more weapons this week into Lebanon, uh, these GPS devices that are making these uh, missiles that Hezbollah has into precision-guided weapons, other things going on, and, of course, the crisis, the growing crisis between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia it was expected to play a major role in any bust-up between Israel and Iran as an ally of Israel, a quiet ally. We've talked about that, how Israeli planes would be allowed to fly over northern Saudi Arabia. That would still probably be the case, but they're worried about that as well. So they would like to put this off, Jimmy, but the Palestinians are not stopping and this was an audacious attack into Israel, these grad rockets attacks. And, um, yes, the situation is very, very tense. And we can expect this next week to see some real major action continuing and escalating in and around Gaza. Dave, I understand those grad rockets, and I've seen one of those in Ashkelon, which was fired in from the Gaza Strip as well. 
They were produced in Iran, supplied to Hamas by Iran. Am I correct on that? You are correct, Jimmy, but we also believe that the other major terror group, if you want to call them that, that's basically what they are, Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip, also has received now some grads from Iran. So these may or may not have been directed by Hamas. Hamas denies that they fired them or any of their forces fired them, and the Israelis do tend to think it was probably Islamic Jihad. But both groups are under Iran's thumb, but Islamic Jihad is an arm of Iran. They are their main actors in the area, so they may have been doing this to try to scuttle the ongoing Egyptian efforts to bring calm to the area, to bring reconciliation between the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. These efforts have been going on for months, and in fact, there was an Egyptian delegation in Gaza heading up to Ramallah after that, when these uh, rockets were fired on Wednesday, uh, they turned tail and went back to Egypt. <laughs> they got out of there recognizing that the situation was escalating and whether there will be any more Egyptian attempts to try to postpone action, we'll have to wait and see. But it seems like Israel is going to go to war here. I mentioned last week that Defense Minister Lieberman is especially advocating an operation, one he says that would bring half a decade, up to five years of calm and quiet to the Gaza Strip and to Israeli cities that are being attacked uh, and forests and everything else is being attacked from the Gaza Strip. Well, five years of calm, that implies either getting rid of Hamas and Islamic Jihad altogether or so devastating them that they really are not able to do anything for that length of time. Quite interesting, your comments about Avigdor Lieberman, who's the defense minister for the state of Israel. Well, what about, can you give me more information about uh, the Palestinian Authority having the audacity to blame Israel for the entire Gaza fiasco? I mean, they are beyond chutzpah, aren't they? They are, Jimmy. It's, uh, it's hard for me, frankly, to listen to some of the PA officials talk anymore because uh, they're so unreasonable. Uh, they're so clearly pushing this conflict. They're not doing anything really to be reconciled to Hamas or to pacify their people. Uh, they continue to hand out money to terrorists and their families when they attack Israelis or foreign tourists or anybody uh, in, in the area. It's a very bad situation. Mahmoud Abbas, he's in control, but not in control, many are saying. And, of course, the greatest concern that the Israelis have with Gaza apart from Hezbollah and Iran opening uh, fire in reaction in the north, that's their ma most concern. Ma um, that is their major concern. But they're also concerned that the Palestinians in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, may feel the need to join in to support, you know, their brethren in the Gaza Strip, and that we could see uh, rioting in those areas as well. So there's full mobilization going on in Israel. Meanwhile, Jimmy, no air operations again this week against uh, the uh, Iranian forces operating in Syria uh, and Lebanon. We had on uh, Tuesday a plane come from Tehran. This is reported by Fox News and others carrying this advanced GPS equipment for Hezbollah to make their rockets into precision guided rockets, precision guided rockets that would hit Israel in a more accurate way. Uh, no response from the Israelis. Uh, that shows uh, the Israeli analysts are saying that the Russian deployment of the S-300 anti-rocket system and the jamming devices they brought in 
have indeed prevented Israel from uh, launching any countermeasures for over a month now in Syria. So that uh, means they're just getting stronger. They seem ready for a fight. And in Israel, Jimmy, as I mentioned earlier, panic over the uh, break, breaking up, at least, of relations between the United States and Saudi Arabia, real concern over that, and concern in, in a special way that this will embolden Iran even further to launch a major attack on Israel, that they're pushing for it to start in Gaza, then Israel will respond, and then the world will start paying attention, and they'll blame Israel for starting this conflict, and not the real actors, Iran and their allies. Friends, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation, you can clearly understand why it is so important to have a Middle East news update from David Dolan, especially if you're a student of Bible prophecy. Great report, David. Thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll be talking again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Very, very important report from David Dolan. Well, we're going to take a break right now. Then Winky Madad is standing by. We're going to be talking with Winky about the potential for this Palestinian war and what is happening on the ground in that very key region of our world. Winky Madad at this broadcast table in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into the second 30 minutes of information we're going to give you, looking at current events around the world that will help you understand the Old Testament prophets and the predictions that they made through what is referred to as Bible prophecy. One of my favorite guys, as it relates to a broadcast partner, and he's been doing it for years, and in fact, we are doing a DVD video. We talked to you last week about it in the production process entitled, Is the United States of America in Bible Prophecy? My broadcast partner, Winky Madad, was in Jerusalem for us. Our son, Rick DeYoung, was there doing a tour one of our eight tours that we have every year. And on the last day, Rick was able to get a hold of Winky Madad there at the Jaffa Gate, and they were able to put some footage together for this video. So, Winky, first of all, let me thank you for being available to do that. And Rick reported to me, you're just brilliant, buddy. What you had to say was excellent. Well, I never doubt Rick's opinion about anything. (laughs) Uh, But it was a pleasure to be part of the process. It was a challenge due to location. I hope when the people get to see it, you'll see 
nice backdrop, a nice talk by me. The questions were uh, incisive, and I hope everyone learns from not only what I said, what the entire film will bring to the audience. Well, thank you so much, Winky. I love the phrase, you're never going to debate Ricky about his opinion, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Well, let me get into the conversation I wanted to have with you. A number of issues I want to cover with you. First of all, Prime Minister Netanyahu said this week that a Hamas war is not if, but when. Now, that sounds pretty serious. Is it that serious, or was he just politicking? Well, Jimmy, it's, it's kind of difficult to say. I hope he was trying to warn them off, but we had an incident earlier this week on Wednesday morning in which two shells were launched. One basically completely destroyed someone's home in Beersheba. Now, you know Beersheba is a ways away from Gaza, and so this is quite serious because... Not only are they doing this with impunity at the present moment, and I'll explain that in a second, but they're exclusively targeting civilian homes, civilian uh, buildings, uh, institutions, schools, and and the like. I think they even sent one off in the direction of Tel Aviv, but I think it fell in the sea. So uh, getting back to that impunity remark I threw out, at the present moment, the Israel Defense Forces, excluding what they're doing at the Gaza fence, are basically targeting things that could be rebuilt, uh, whether the houses or whether they're uh, command centers or whether they're uh, ammunition that could be probably brought in. And I think that Israel has to aim a little bit higher at the structure of the uh, terror organization called Hamas. We've been promised a lot over the past months, and I can tell you, Jimmy, from talking to people the past two or three days, reading the newspapers and listening, a lot of people are becoming very, very, uh, shall we say, uh, angry even, that the limitations that the government has placed on the IDF is not stopping them, in fact, perhaps even encouraging them in their continuing uh, terror campaign. Why does Israel do that? It seems when you had the battle, the last one, with Hezbollah up there at the northern border of Lebanon and Israel, they kind of slacked off. They didn't pull all the punches they could. Why Why does the IDF do that? Jimmy... Israel is facing an onslaught in the media that affects politicians and other people around who just read and watch and listen and presume that Israel is always sort of, the headline will be, Israel fires into Gaza after a missile hits a building, instead of reversing that and telling the people the proper narrative. There's a narrative out in the media, not over your station and other friendly stations, uh, to Israel, but the mainstream media, and the message is being garbled, the message is being twisted around, and under those constraints, politicians feel that they have to move very slowly, uh, very carefully. They don't want uh, another war, particularly, but as I said several times on this program, uh, over the years that you've mentioned, I've been a broadcast partner with you, that I have the feeling that the smart military moves that Israel used to do are not being in place at the present moment in Mm -hmm. terms of commando, in terms of really targeting certain people that would send a message that this is enough. They're still digging tunnels, Jimmy. The situation basically on and below the ground and above it in the skies has not changed. I mean, they're hitting us with balloons and kites. Uh, thousands of acres of, of, of agricultural and forestry have been burnt. 
it's not a good situation, Jimmy. Yeah, I know that. I try to tell the true story when I'm out speaking in public gatherings of people that want to understand really what the truth is there in Israel. Meanwhile, though, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, one of his advisors has said that the Islamic war, I believe he was referring to Ezekiel chapter 38, the war that uh, Russia leads with Syria and Egypt and Turkey and Iran and all the others that are listed there in Ezekiel 38, he said that Islamic war has already started. Now, I would have to think then he's talking about the part that uh, the Palestinians will play because they seem to be, uh, you know, breaking the ground up, ready for that war to ultimately take place. Jimmy, the, the, the Arabs that refer to themselves as Palestinians are the negative image uh, of our existence as Jews and Zionists here in, in the land of Israel. Uh, it sounds maybe harsh to some people listening in. I'm talking about a hundred years of uh, struggle, of uh, confrontation, whether it was before the state was created, after the state was established, and before the 67 war where we took over the territories, and afterwards, now that we are administering the territories. Nothing has satisfied them. Status as refugees, returning to Gaza Strip, making uh, or engaged in wars, and then going to the diplomatic table, and in some cases, Jimmy, losing the advantage that our forces gained for us on the field. Forums like the United Nations, forums like the EU, NGOs that are pouring money in. All this coming together, Jimmy, it makes it very enticing, uh, I think it perhaps even maybe a religious term that I could use uh, for them to continue their violence and not yield and not compromise and not make peace. It just it feeds their target, their goal, their vision of a Middle East without Jews in it, without an Israel. Uh, send them back to Poland or Russia or the United States, wherever they came from, as if it were. Uh, and so this is their attitude, this is their mindset, and I think maybe Westerners who I'm talking to, and you and I are talking to and listening in on our conversation, have a different rational thinking process that our enemies do not have and do not want to have. And with that in mind, President Trump is moving ahead. He made a promise during the time of his campaigning that he would put a peace plan together to bring some type of a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I have to doubt that's ever going to happen. But in light of that, this week, somebody's leaking, and I'm not sure if it's the Palestinians or the Trump organization, calling for a two-state solution. Now, wait a minute. Let me explain the two states. Two states that are Palestinian states, one in the Gaza Strip, one in the Ramallah area. Have you heard about that, and what in the world are they thinking about? Well, Jimmy, it might surprise some people, but at the present moment, the Palestinian Authority itself is basically a two-entity existence with the Hamas in charge of Gaza and the Abbas-led factions in charge of Judea and Samaria and what we know as the West Bank. So for all practicalities... I always like to say Israel will make peace with the Palestinian Arabs once they make peace among themselves, which they haven't done. This week, the Egyptians came into Gaza to try to smooth things over again. 
They've been doing that off and on for about five to six years already, if not more. So, uh, you know, Israel should not get excited. Just sit back and say, you know, I think it was in the case of uh, David at Gibbon, let the lads play before us. <laughs> Uh, yeah. let the young men play before us. I don't know exactly how we will translate that from the Hebrew. And then sit back and wait for them to get their act together. Yeah, yeah. I was interviewed about this on a nationwide broadcast the other day. I said, hey, maybe the plan is divide and conquer. <laughs> that may be exactly what the scenario will work out. So then you think Israel may even consider this setup and possibly move ahead with it. Look, I can tell you that this week, Ambassador David Friedman was at Ariel, and he uh, was a guest of the Judea and Samaria Commerce Council. So with Arab and Jewish businessmen and investors and industrialists and and other people, and he made the statement that uh, the best way to get the peace is, first of all, to have economic prosperity for all, cooperation between Jews and Arabs, on a very basic element of making money and providing good salaries and conditions for all the employees. And if everybody's happy, then eventually maybe they'll get to see that it's possible to make peace. So his man on the ground here is doing something a little bit different. I'm not quite sure what the end result will be, uh, but I can tell you that if you say a two-state solution of the Palestinian Authority as two states, uh, that's too many states of Arab states in the old Palestine mandate period territory. And so I think that we still have to wait for a better plan. Yeah, see what all plays out here. One final question. I'm not sure if there is any connection, but of course the investigation going on there in Istanbul, Turkey, where in the Saudi Arabian consulate uh, there was a journalist that was killed and a dastardly death, so it seems. We don't know what we do not know yet on that. Uh, but uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia had started becoming uh, pretty good friends. At least they weren't at each other's throat claiming they're going to wipe the other one out. Any effect of the killing of the journalist there in Istanbul? Jimmy, I don't want to be too cruel to anybody, and I think if indeed he was killed, murdered uh, in some form, I would not like to belittle that, but you and I, Jimmy, are old enough to remember... Saudi Arabians having their heads and arms and hands cut off Uh in the public square. And that didn't really bother too many people to the extent that it has today. I also know that the person involved was not a friend of Israel. And in fact, he was basically an Islamist uh, in his political orientation. He was very pro-Muslim Brotherhood, which is not one of the more uh, peaceful Islamic groups going on in the Middle East. And all of a sudden, I really don't know, is it because he's a journalist, and journalists are favoring other journalists in a situation like this? Or is it because this is an opportunity to get President Trump, who has to balance out one person's death, possibly against a complete economic situation, and, as you mentioned, Saudi Arabia, United States, and Israel against Iran Mm. in our region of the world? So what is driving all this? And making it a a larger-than-life item, I'm not quite sure. But I do know that before this, as you mentioned, Israel was on a better path with some sort of cooperation with Saudi Arabia, including overflights. Israel's flights to India back and forth, Jimmy, Mm -hmm. they fly over Saudi Arabia territory. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people are aware of that, but that's, uh, that's 
big news around my part of the world. Yeah, right. And so uh, I hope this gets over and we get back to business of building a better relationship with the Muslim world against uh, Iran and other people. Only time will tell when the investigation is completed, if it's ever completed. We'll have to stay on top of that story. Winky, thank you so very much. Thank you for the TV shoot you did for us the other day, and thank you for my time to be able to spend with you here on Prophecy Today. We'll have to do it again. We'll do it real soon. Jimmy, it was a pleasure, and thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad with information that we need to know. Great insight. Many years of experience as a journalist and then working in the Israeli government, of course, helps him to have that background. Well, speaking of experience, John Rood also, many years of experience living there in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. He knows many of the players. He's talked with them, interviewed them, and now travels the country teaching about how the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. John, always great to have you at this broadcast table. And let me ask about Brexit. I mean, it seems it's the top story coming out of the EU. And may I ask, if nobody's talking, how can they come to a deal? This has been something that is going to be in the forefront, of course. And uh, leading up till March, March 29 is the actual date for Brexit to be official. But then again, being familiar with the EU system, what would one expect? If they can't agree among themselves, the member nations and the institutions as they're set up, if they just normal business, they can't agree, how then can they agree when someone decides to leave? So actually, we've been sort of fed an agenda on how this is supposed to happen. We have right now the October Brussels Summit for the EU, and the talk the last month was we were going to have a mid-November emergency summit. Now everyone's gone quiet, and there's a talk that the idea of having an emergency summit is called off. So it looks very much that the EU is just going for the status quo here. If, if Theresa May is truly weak towards um, the European Union, then they would want her to be there. So the EU is not actually even respecting their rules. There's still no deals. Now, the very latest, is there's serious talk of a delay. This is probably what's going to happen. They just wipe the slate clean. They break their own rules. And then, after the official date in March, for the United Kingdom, it's a 21-month transition period that begins. So they're just going to try to keep things as much as they can uh, as it's been to keep the influence of the United Kingdom. Uh, also, of course, the Monetary Center, the City of London, now we're having talk that there's going to be a banking union come mm. out of the EU in December, mm -hmm. so trying to make the U.K. feel that they're left out. You know, it's very interesting as well. European Union this last week made some decisions in favor of Israel. Now, they've been actually after Israel and attacking them on their relationship with the Palestinians for a long time. Uh, but the European Union spokesperson came out and said that the rockets being fired towards Israel must be stopped. Uh, that's a pretty interesting move by the EU. This statement 
that the EU is calling for a de-escalation of the military cross-border action, it's actually come out of what is the uh, European Union Diplomatic Service, which is the European External Action Service is the name of it. So it's not the European Commission. These are actually the diplomats appointed by the European Union. And uh, even in our church in Brussels, we had uh, a few people that became EU diplomats. So there is a voice of sense that can come out of there. The purpose of de-escalation is that we have the attacks are coming from Gaza, for example, and it's indiscriminate attacks against civilians. And then Israel will retaliate on terrorist targets that are very clear, uh, you know, tunnel, terrorist cells, etc. So the EU keeps its stand that there's only a political solution that can put the end to the violence. Ultimately, they're looking for two states. You know, at the same time, the leadership in Hungary calling on the European Union to cease funding of NCOs who are hostile towards Israel. That's an interesting development as well. Now, this was brought up by the meeting of the uh, foreign ministers. The Hungarian foreign minister, he stood up for Israel time and time again, and uh, Hungary is effectively siding with, with Israel, uh, made, a, made a motion, made a comment that there's non-governmental organizations that are uh, part of the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement against Israel, trying to engage in uh, violence and hatred, contribute to illegal uh, immigration, etc. And not surprisingly, the European Union, the title is actually High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, uh, Federica Mogherini. She has clashed several times with uh, Israel. She's just taking a stand saying these NGOs, they've all been stringently checked out, and, you know, this is not valid. But it's certain that the NGOs are anti-Israel, and it's good that Hungary as a nation has stood up for Israel, as well as some of the other Eastern European nations, Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic, um, they do see themselves as being very pro-Israel. And some of that hostility towards Israel, a precursor those things do happen in the future. Well, Tayyip Erdogan and Turkey have been a lot in the news as it relates to the, looks like, assassination or the murder of a Saudi journalist who went into the consulate there and never came out. Uh, more information needed before we can get to a conclusion on that. However, Tayyip Erdogan making a move, it looks like, aiming to end Turkey's dream of entering the European Union. Is that the case, or is the EU just not wanting him to be a part of them? Uh, it could very well be both. It's been a political move in Turkey to use the reluctance of the European Union to guide the membership talks. Uh, they've been going on since 2005. President Erdogan has said that they've been seeking uh, membership since 1963. When I was frequently uh, in and out of Turkey, there was always a question of the Copenhagen criteria, and the EU has 
brought these issues, uh, especially the number one issue was the death penalty, and they have brought this tension that effectively could create in Turkey somewhat of a backlash. It's, it's a very big national issue in Turkey concerning uh, European Union membership. The fact is, is that Turkey says they're looking for a fair deal, but it's not even, I won't even say it's not likely, it's at this moment nearly impossible that they would receive a fair deal. The population of Turkey is is just too large. It would have too large of a representation in the European Parliament to be comfortable. Turkey is 5% of the landmass in Europe, 95% in Asia. And so by comparison, 25% of the, percent of the landmass of Russia is in Europe. So there's going to be political moves here. It's pretty certain that they are, have been uh, put off. And so to make a dramatic cut for something that he knows will never happen is probably a move on his part to strengthen his own position. That's the voice of John Rood. And when he was talking about those geographical portions of what's in Asia, what's in Europe, that even plays into an end-time scenario to help you understand how when we talk about the political in the European Union and the whole continent of Europe, you see it is setting the stage for prophecy ultimately to be fulfilled. Great report, John. Thank you for the insight. Appreciated so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. We're going to now go to a favorite part of this program for me. It's when one of the listeners may send a question to Jim Jr. By the way, you can do that. Send it to Jim Jr. at prophecytoday.com, and we'll endeavor to answer your question right here on the weekend broadcast for Prophecy Today. Thank you so much for sending the question in, Jim. Let's deal with the questions that we're receiving from our listeners. Leroy Isaac sends in a question. You are incorrect in your argument. Nowhere in Scripture does it say treaty with Israel. The correct term is covenant with many. The nature of the covenant is not given, nor are who the many are. You are teaching an assumption only, not what the Word of God actually says. Now, you're not saying that to me, are you, Jim? You no, said, no. Oh, I was hoping as a student of School of Prophets, you would <laughs> your professor. No, I knew what you were doing. I just had to tease you a bit. Listen, uh, it's a good question, Leroy, and I think we need to think through uh, what we might consider an assumption. I don't consider this an assumption. I consider it a conclusion that I have come to with the study of other passages of Scripture. I love the principle I've already mentioned on this program about uh, that principle found there in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, no prophecy of private interpretation. You don't simply take Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, which is the verse you're referring to, although you didn't mention it in your statement, Leroy, but it's Daniel 9, 27, and he, I believe that's the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant. I believe that's a treaty. Now, go to Strong's Concordance, if I can suggest it. And uh, I would uh, find there, as you will find if you'll go there, the Hebrew word for treaty, or excuse me, for covenant, also has an alternative uh, translation, which would be treaty. A covenant of peace is what we're talking about here. And when you say uh, with many, well, how do you come to that conclusion, D. Young, that that is the case? Well, 
Remember what Daniel 9, 24 to 27 is all about. Daniel 9, 24, God says, I have a special plan. That will be the 70 weeks of Daniel for a special people. And he says, thy people, Daniel, that would be the Jewish people, and thy holy city. And Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, Jerusalem is the holy city of God. It's the city that is referred to in this passage of Scripture. So when you say many, that has to go back and amplify, help you understand what it's talking about when the special plan is for the Jewish people. There has to be a pseudo-peace that would be put in place. Earlier we talked about the term Antichrist and who that individual is. You've got to understand that he dupes the Jewish people by bringing a peace to the table. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and Two, a man on a white horse. He has a crown on his head, a bow in his hand, with no arrows. That means he does come as a man of peace. Look, and bow doesn't have anything to do with an offensive weapon. You have to have the arrows to go with that bow or you don't have an offensive weapon. So the Antichrist, who's trying to be the replica of Jesus Christ, will come on the scene and he'll put together some type of a peace arrangement. It says that uh, there in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 8, they were dwelling safely in the land. Now that's at the first of the seven-year tribulation period. That's soon after the confirmation of the peace treaty. You see, by the way, that word confirmation, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm. That word in Hebrew is gabar, which means not to sign, not uh, to do anything else except strengthen, make stronger, or confirm this covenant. Mm has to us then to be a treaty of some type. Uh, the word covenant uh, translated uh, from the Hebrew or treaty can be translated from that Hebrew as well. I hope and uh, pray that that will help you some, Leroy. Study the word and keep me true to uh, giving the right information out as we study and teach the word as well. Well, that's all the time that we have for Q&A this week. We're going to need to take a break, and when we come back, David James and Dr. DeYoung will have a conversation right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. If you're still here, you've already listened to an hour of information from our broadcast partners looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. So that should help. But you ought to keep the dial set right where it is. In a moment, I'm going to be talking with David James, and we're going to be mentioning the names. We were encouraged by emails which came into our office. They want us to name some names so the people out there who are trying to learn Bible prophecy correctly will be able to go to the right conferences. And, of course, we're encouraging them to encourage their pastor to teach Bible prophecy or find a church where they do teach Bible prophecy. So glad you could join us this last half hour. I want to tell you about our poll question. We always have that. It's on the left-hand column on our home page. Scroll down, you'll find it. Here's the poll question, which I would like for you to answer today, if you get a chance. Here's the question. Do you believe that with all that's happening in the Middle East, the stage is being set for the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, that should be a yes answer, but maybe you don't have that type of answer. Give us your answer. We want to check it out with those listening to the broadcast. I want to remind you our School of Prophets conference upcoming in December 
If you go to my website, you'll see the banner that is a rotating banner on the home page. ProphecyToday.com is the location. Find out about the conference. You need to be a part of it right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We now bring to these microphones David James. That's right. It's the time of the week when David and I come to the broadcast table and have a conversation. We're going to have a follow-up to last week's discussion concerning prophecy conferences happening across America. We'll do that in a moment. But before we do get to this week's topic of discussion, David, I know you're headed out for your first major ministry trip of this academic school year. That's right. I head out to Ukraine first, where I'll be teaching God's plan through the ages. And in fact, it will be my first time of teaching that course uh, there in Ukraine at the Word of Life Bible Institute. So I'm still in the process of getting my PowerPoints into dual languages, trying to get the Russian <laughs> into the PowerPoint. So that's uh, that's quite a challenge, but uh, looking forward to that. I'll be uh, having 15 hours of teaching with the students there uh, for the Bible Institute in the Slavic-speaking world. I'm really looking forward to that. It's a great way to to start my ministry in this school year. Then I'll be home for about nine or ten days, and then I head back to Hungary again for for another two weeks. So it's a busy time to finish up the year, and then we'll be having our conference a couple days after I get back from Hungary there in Chattanooga. Yeah, that's going to be a great conference. Is the opportunity for you to study Bible prophecy. I'll be going through about 26 books of the Bible. We divided the Bible into three parts for the purpose of each of these times I do a course. We'll talk about how Bible prophecy is in all 66 books of the Bible. And so we divided it up into three different parts, and we're going to be teaching the second part upcoming starts with the book of Acts. You do not want to miss that. And David, of course, a very practical course, how to use the multimedia uh, to communicate the truths of God's Word. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. There's a banner up. You can check it out and see all the prices, the dates, the times, the coursework, etc. prophecytoday.com. David, this last week we received a number of emails from two of our listeners concerning last week's discussion of the Blessed Hope Prophecy Conference. So I think after talking with you, we decided it would be good for us to dig into this a little bit deeper and explain why we have serious concerns about what's happening in the realm of prophecy. Well, that's right, and we're always glad to have emails from our listeners, and they kind of hold our feet to the fire a little bit in some ways, and one of them had suggested that it might be helpful to name names, and we'll get to that in a moment. And another one had a great testimony about what he went through, which we'll also discuss here in a few minutes. But these are serious things that we're we're discussing. We know that prophecy makes up such a great portion of the Bible, and as we head deeper into the last days, it's very important that people have their theology correct in relation to that. Well, let's respond first to the one email that suggested it would be helpful to name names so people could be on guard against the false teaching. What can you tell us about a few of the conference speakers that are of concern? 
Well, first of all, I wanted to note that everyone we're talking about, as far as I know, are pre-trib dispensationalists, which means that they are going to be speaking truth, but our great concern is when you mix truth and potential error and false teaching. So, first of all, Gary Stearman was one of the hosts of the conference. He's the director of Prophecy Watchers, and he believes that he encountered a UFO over 40 years ago when he was flying a small plane from Dallas to Lubbock, Texas, and he says that he heard a voice tell him to look to his left, and he would see a UFO. He doesn't know where that voice came from, and then he claims that later on in this flight, he felt the UFO was probing his mind, and he lost about five or six hours in his flight time that he has no accounting for. So you have to admit that's that's a little bit strange. Then we have L.A. Marzulli, who is a main promoter of UF, what I term UFO Nephilim eschatology, believes that, uh, just like Gary Stearman, that UFOs are being uh, used right now by Satan, and they're demonic, and and he spends a lot of time on that. He also claims that he's the elongated Peruvian skulls he found. He has found are the remains of Nephilim, or their offspring, and this has continued throughout history and not just prior to the flood. Uh, you have a man named Jack Langford, and he was the one mentioned by Patty in her email, and he strongly argues against the two ordinances of the Church, which are believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. I would personally maintain that that's heretical. Donald Perkins is a well-known charismatic teacher and a prophecy speaker. Derek and Sharon Gilbert both spoke there, and they are also promoters of UFO uh, Nephilim eschatology. You also had Jan Markell there, and so you have two women teachers in this conference, women teaching men on theological matters, which I personally think violates 2 Timothy 2. And Jan Markell is also promoting Billy Crone's book on UFOs on her website, so that's a problem. And then you had Jonathan Kahn, who was also there, and, and I've written two books dealing with his wrong theology concerning the Harbinger and the Blood Moons. So this is a very serious mix of uh, truth and error, and it presents a great danger to the Church. Well, it certainly does, and we've stepped out. We don't want to just be a program where every time we want to attack somebody, we start using their name and trying to destroy their ministry. We're not going after motives. We're not going after methods of ministry. We're simply going after what God's Word says, and that's key. Actually, David, there's another major prophecy conference taking place this weekend, even as we're on the air, that being hosted by what has been a trusted ministry over the years. And yet, in looking over their lineup of speakers, we spotted a real problem as well. Well, unfortunately, Jimmy, that's true, and I want to underscore what you said. We aren't going after motives. I'm very reluctant to name names unnecessarily, but this is a problem, and this is the 2018 East Coast Prophecy Conference hosted by Southwest Radio Ministries, and I know that you've had a ministry there as well, and a couple of people that I noticed, uh, Josh Peck is there, who is also into this UFO Nephilim eschatology. Derek Gilbert is a speaker at this conference, so he's been at it for two weekends in a row, and then Steve Strang was the biggest red flag for me. He is the head of Charisma Media and Charisma Magazine and uh, Charisma Media and Publishing. I would suggest that they are the biggest purveyors 
putting out the greatest amount of material that is heretical that our generation has seen. And in fact, he was the publisher of Jonathan Kahn's books, which I believe that Jonathan Kahn, as time has shown, has proven to be both a false teacher and a false prophet. This is very serious. Very interesting report, David. Uh, Let's turn now our attention on the other letter we received, which is the testimony of what one man went through because of these conferences. That's right. We received a letter from Dean, and he uh, was affirming what we talked about last week, saying this is absolutely true because that is what it did for me, meaning creating confusion. He said that he had gone back and forth through these various things. He got his feet on solid ground theologically, and then he would be tempted to go back to these conferences, and he got confused again. And then he says, finally, he found prophecy today in the Berean Call and Friends of Israel, and he concludes by saying, praise the Lord for helping me through this mess of teachings. And I know, Jimmy, that uh, you've spoken in just so many prophecy conferences over the years. I think it might be helpful uh, for you to actually share the things that you have seen over the years concerning the the direction these conferences have taken, and even the confusion that uh, you find during your question-and-answer sessions in churches. Well, David, you're absolutely right. I have had the privilege, and I guess I should say honor, of being in some of these major prophecy conferences in the past. And in fact, the sponsoring personalities for both the Oklahoma Conference and the East Coast Conference have been longtime friends. I've been on their television programs, radio programs. They had a great standing at the time that I was with them. But I've I've watched them actually get more sensational with the report like hearing a voice and looking to see a UFO beside you. And some of these other guys who... I don't know. It seems like they want to be sensational. I've found that as I study the prophetic word of God and simply teach what the Bible says about prophecy and the future, there's some great truth in there. You don't have to make up things to try to be sensational. But when you come together in a conference and you're listening and you don't have the true basis, I suggest people set up a grid in their mind. In other words, study the correct eschatology of the end times Have that in your mind, and when somebody says something contradictory to that, a flag goes up. So that'll help in not being so confused. But there are many people who do not have the opportunity, nor the time, nor have been able to get to a conference or have a local church that's teaching proper eschatology, a study of the end-time events. And so they become so confused And many of them just walk away. They just get up and walk away and say, this prophecy stuff is junk. I even have some, and I mentioned their names, you'd recognize them immediately, some heads of some major ministries who just downplay or cut down every time they can prophecy teachers. I've been in the conferences with them. I've had conversations with them. I think it's very important what we're talking about. I do believe ultimately you have to name some names. The Bible says that Apostle Paul, he got all over Peter publicly when Peter was going wrong. So I think we're on a good ground, David. And I would just encourage people, study the Word of God. Make sure what the source is 
make sure you're stating God's word, not some sensational thought from some prophecy teacher. That's the standard I'm trying to keep. David, let's just conclude, as we always do, very practical, and let's uh, see if you can give us some advice for our listeners, things that we can do to avoid getting off track when it comes to prophecy concerning the last days. Well, I would affirm exactly what you have just said, and I would just give three quick additional follow-up points to that. If you're a pastor, I would say, Pastor, you need to study biblical prophecy from reputable theologians and studying the Word of God yourself. Teach your people prophecy and how to discern truth from error. Uh, If you're the average person in the pew, learn to study the prophetic Word of God for yourself, and then look to trustworthy men who do teach or have taught Bible prophecy correctly, men like John Wolver, Dwight Pentecost, Charles Ryrie, Mark Hitchcock, and I would add to that Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And I would also say this, uh, before you go to a prophecy conference, do your research, find out what the speakers actually believe and teach. You can do the exact same kind of research that Jimmy and I do every week in preparation for this program, and that will protect you and help you avoid being confused. You know, the other thing I forgot to say when you asked me about these conferences, they have no accountability. The leaders of these ministries don't have accountability like there would be in a local church. And I bring that up because you made a very important inference there. You and I work together on these things, and you keep me accountable, I keep you accountable. So, you know, we have accountability, and we want to make sure we're teaching the truth. David, thank you for being the one that keeps me on track, and I'll continue to try to help you. But I don't find you are very often off track, so that's very good. Well, thank you, David. I'm going to be praying for your trip as you go to the Ukraine, Hungary, and then on to Israel. Boy, I'm excited about you leading this tour for us. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and we're going to get back here in a few moments, Bible in hand, to take a look at the book, bring all of these conversations with our broadcast partners together with a spotlight of biblical prophecy overlooking them. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. 
You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we took a look at key regions of our world, those would be locations where whatever is happening seemingly is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled if you understand the connection between the current event and the Bible. Our broadcast partners who have that same idea of what eschatologically is going to happen in the world were at the broadcast table and they gave us information, details on these stories and great insight. Let me, if you will, remind you that if you missed any of the interviews, my conversations with our broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. Now, those are the initials for the Prophecy Today radio network. We archive all of our radio broadcasts and everything special that can be heard on the Prophecy Today radio network at prophecytoday.com. Go there and listen to whatever you may have missed, or maybe you want to listen to one of the conversations another time to get more out of it. And of course, I always encourage you, tell a friend they need to know about this resource as well. But now, if you will, let me rehearse the main stories from our broadcast partners and give you a prophetic perspective on the news. Colonel Bob McGinnis, he works at the Pentagon, Washington, D.C. That's his day job. He's an author, has written many excellent books that will help us understand this world and the politics of it. And so we had him on to talk about the murder there at the Saudi consulate in Turkey. We do not know what we do not know, but we do need to know it. I hope I didn't confuse you there. It's a complex situation, and we need to understand that. I can tell you for sure you can understand that Turkey is key in the end-time scenario as it relates to what's going to happen. There will be an alignment of nations coming to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Turkey is mentioned in Ezekiel 38, verse 2, as Meshach and Tubal, verse 6, as Gomer and Tagarma, and they are going to be led by Russia. And when you think about Syria, they'll be the first ones to make a move. And so when you look at all of this and all the ramifications of this terrible event happening in the Middle East, in Turkey, for example, you need to recognize and understand, I believe this is all a precursor to Bible prophecy being fulfilled in the future, something that we need to understand. May I remind you that Iran has an eschatology which says that at one time there is going to be a king of Saudi Arabia named Salman. Well, we have King Salman, the crown prince, his son, Mohammed bin Salman, both in leadership roles there. And Iran's eschatology says when a king named Salman in Saudi Arabia comes to power, Saudi Arabia will fall, and that will bring forth the 12th imam in Iran, uh, that would be the Mahdi, the Messiah in Arabic, 
and he would then set up a worldwide caliphate. All of these bits of information helpful as you look at the current events that Bob McGinnis and I had a conversation about. David Dolan, our guy who covers the Middle East with his Middle East News Update, he's been doing it for about 35 years, has great insight as well. We talked about the IDF tanks moving towards Gaza. You know, it's been over 30 weeks that this conflict at the Gaza-Israeli border has been taking place. The IDF is really not in full force. I mean, you know, their military personnel are there, uh, but their leadership, the defense minister, the chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Force, are not receiving the instruction from the Israeli government to give it everything they have. So when they let loose, that Gaza thing may be over. The Lord says it will be over because these people, the Palestinian people known as Edomites in the Bible, they in the end times, Ezekiel 35, will try to steal the land. That's what's going on now. And then they will kill the Jews to accomplish that goal. But God has a plan. The Messiah will, and he comes back. Obadiah verses 15 to 18, when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes, he'll take care of the Palestinian people, and they will be a people as if they have never been. Winky Madad came on and gave us more information about the Trump peace plan, which is calling for two states. No, no, not Israel and Palestine, but two Palestinian states, one in the Gaza Strip, one in the center part of the state of Israel near Ramallah, where you have two factions, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, Fatah in the center part of the state of Israel. We talked about that. You know, the Trump peace plan may or may not work. We're going to have to wait and see. Some are suggesting it's divide and conquer. Divide, make two Palestinian states, and then be able to conquer them both together. Well, there is going to be a peace, whether Trump brings it forth or not. It's a pseudo-peace. It's talked about in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, where it says, When he, the Antichrist, comes on the scene, he will confirm peace treaties already on the table, and there are three that way right now. The events we talk about on this broadcast leads to that end-time scenario. John Rood talked to us about the European Union. He always, each week, updates us. And the European Union telling the Palestinians to quit firing missiles toward Israel. I doubt that the Palestinian people are going to listen. Because remember, that is a part of their lifestyle in this day to kill the Jew and steal their land. But it talks about the European Union which I believe is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, ultimately that's the goal, is going to come to power, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and couple that with verses 23 and 24, and then you look over to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12, and you're going to see that the revived Roman Empire does come to power. They may not be as helpful to the Jews at that time during the tribulation period. They'll be a part of the judgment brought during that particular time. Thank Jim and our listener for uh, writing in a question for Prophecy Q&A, and David James and I talking about wrong eschatology being taught by false teachers and many people gathering at these conferences with no capability of determining what is correct and what is not correct, and it's causing confusion. It's a very terrible time. You need to wake up and start studying Bible prophecy with your pastor. Make sure your pastor's teaching the prophetic word of God.
Well, all that I've talked about, and with my broadcast partners, I reminded you what we covered. I gave you a prophetic perspective on them. All of these stories lead up to one conclusion, that the biblical scenario prophetically is about to come to pass and be fulfilled. And it could be very, very soon. Thus, that means the next event is the rapture of the church, which, by the way, the rapture could actually take place even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.